The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 124 of the show. Happy Easter, everybody, if you are the sort of person that celebrates it. Uh, hope you're hunting eggs or eating eggs or doing something with eggs because, you know, that's what people tend to do today. Also, in addition to being Easter... I am aware of the fact that it is also April Fool's Day, the same day as Easter. And I'd like to give you all a plea from me with regard to April Fool's Day. And that's, just don't do anything for it, please. Like, can we just pretend like April Fool's Day doesn't exist? Like, let's all admit that we're annoyed by this holiday Nobody likes being pranked. Nobody likes not being able to read anything on their Facebook feeds and think that any of it's true. And basically, all these companies like to make announcements that they're putting out a product and then, haha, we're not actually putting out that product, April Fools. And, and like, who likes to be fooled, honestly? Like, can we just extricate this holiday from our lives? And the way we can start doing that is if you are the kind of person that likes to get involved in the April Fools pranks, just just knock it off. Knock it off. On behalf of humanity, knock it off. I mean, look, one of two things happen if you're going to do some kind of April Fool's prank on your friends or family, loved ones, anything like that. Either it's not going to work out because everybody is sort of on April Fool's guard at this point. They're going to say, no, you're, what you're saying isn't true. You know, you're not going to trick me. And then, you know, your April Fool's joke falls flat. Or the even worse case scenario for everybody, you actually fool somebody with your April Fool's prank. And now you've just inconvenienced their life slightly. And, you know, that's, I mean, for the and for people who've been on the receiving end of April Fool's pranks, like, have any of us ever gone, have any of us ever been fooled by April Fool's prank and gone, well, I'm glad that happened. My life is better for that experience. No, we all hate it. So just let's all agree. April 1st, just hunt for some eggs if that, if your religion compels you to do that. And just don't do the April Fool's crap. Grow up. Yeah, all right. Um, I'm so sorry that I missed you guys all last week. I had a terrible tech issue. I couldn't get anything to work. Uh, for the last few weeks, I've been working with a new mixer that I do think has upgraded the sound quality on our podcast. I think we've we've had a nice upgrade in the sound area. But, you know, it's also higher tech than what I'm used to. I'm using a new DAW software now. I'm using a new mixer with this DAW, and... It sounds better, but it also, I'm still working out the kinks. And so, like, last week, I just couldn't get anything to work, and I just said, screw it, and just didn't do an episode that week. And I'm so, so sorry. I hate to miss episodes. I hate to go dark. It's a rare occurrence on this podcast. And we're right back into the swing of things, as you can see here on April 24th and April 24th, episode 124. <laughs> I don't know. Man, I got all mixed up there. And it's good to be back. And it's been a, it's been a fun week coming up. I, I got a lot of stuff going on for me this week that I'm excited about. So later this week, April 5th and 6th, I'm actually going to be participating on a panel at the American Bar Association's Miami Entertainment Law Symposium. So it's a it's a national symposium 
entertainment lawyers come from all over the country, descend upon my hometown, and we got panelists from all over the country, top entertainment lawyers who talk about advances in their fields. And I'm going to be on a panel that's all about giving advice for young entertainment lawyers. So it combines young entertainment lawyers like me and experienced entertainment lawyers, and we're all giving advice to the young entertainment lawyers out there. And I'm so excited that I get to be on this panel. I've never been on a lawyer panel before, so I'm pretty excited. And if there are any lawyers listening right now, I know we got a few lawyers. This is a podcast for musicians, but I always pick up a few entertainment lawyer and other lawyer listeners because I see y'all on Twitter. If there are any lawyers out there that are listening that want to check this panel out, I highly encourage it. If you're going to be in the Miami area April 5th and 6th, be sure to check out this panel. You can go to AmericanBar.org, get some registration info. If you're a law student, they have huge discounts for you. And if you're an ABA member, you can get a discount as well. And and that's all the plugging I'm going to do for it. But if, if you come by and you see me and you know about the podcast, say hi. I'd love to say hi to you. And let me say this last thing about this symposium. And that's thank you. I truly appreciate all of you for all of this because honestly, guys, I would not have been asked to be on this panel. I would not have had the opportunity to be on a symposium panel if not for this podcast, if not for this community we've developed, if not for the the name I've been able to build such that it is from doing this podcast and for you guys supporting it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, in fact, even the, the ABA even asked me to do an interview series for this symposium where I interview other entertainment lawyers that are involved with the symposium. So if you want to hear that, if you want to hear me talk to other entertainment lawyers about entertainment law stuff, you can check out that over at MiamiELSblog.com. That's MiamiELSblog.com. So in conclusion, thank you so much for being a part of this community and helping create opportunities for yours truly. Bless you. Our guest this week, so excited to talk to Angela Soph. Angela is a Washington State-based singer-songwriter. She's got a new album coming out called Second Wind. It's coming out this week, April 6th. It is actually her first album in eight years. And I'm excited to talk to her about just that gap because I'm hoping we can get some great advice from her in the next segment about just how do you get back into music when you've been out of it for so long? And she's also had to overcome a bunch of life's life obstacles to stay in the music game and keep making music. And I'm excited to talk to her about all of that because I think it's going to be so useful for all of you because all of you musicians listening out right now, you've all had your own obstacles that you've had to overcome in your life. And you've all had reasons for why you think you couldn't make music anymore. I hear it all the time from musicians. I can't make music because I've been away from music for too long. I can't make music because I have too many family responsibilities. I can't make music because I have too many obstacles in my life. It's just not going to work for me. And what Angela's interview is going to show you is that you can overcome those things. You can find the inner strength. Just because you have a family doesn't mean you can't make music. Just because you've been out of the game for a while doesn't mean you can't get back into the game and so I'm excited to have her on that's going to be a great interview but before we bring her in just want to talk a little bit of news with you guys the RIAA Recording Industry Association of America has put out their 2017 music revenue report I love reading this report every year whenever it comes out I always like to talk about it on the podcast to kind of give all of you listeners just a nice rundown on where we are as an industry and what the changes in the industry mean for you so this time of year the RIAA finishes their report on music revenues 
for last year. And then I, I we talk about it and we talk about some of its implications and a good time is had by all. And the findings this year, guys, absolutely crazy. In fact, I first became aware of the report when our friend of the podcast, our dear co-host Dave, actually sent me a tweet about the report. He actually showed me the report before I even had a chance to get to it. That's how on top of this he was. He sent me a DM on Twitter and basically just said, Ryan, check out this article about the RIA Music Revenue Report. It says that sales of physical music have beaten out digital download sales this year. And when I saw that tweet, I wrote him back immediately and just said, I think you read that article wrong. That's impossible. There's no way that's true. There is no way that physical sales are beating digital downloads. Maybe you read it wrong. Maybe you maybe you read that physical music sales are growing at a faster rate than digital downloads. But there's no way that physical is outselling downloads. I mean, this isn't 2004, man. Like, there's no way that's true. And I just I, I just thought there was no way he could be right. That sounded insane to me. And then I read the article and... Whew, I'm eating crow, man, because Dave was right. And I apologize, Dave, because according to the RIAA 2017 Music Revenue Report, which I have now poured through, for the first time since 2011, sales of physical music, CD, and vinyl beat out digital downloads, as in the kind of music that you download from iTunes. That's crazy. So in terms of overall revenues for recorded music in the industry, digital downloads make up 15% of revenue, but physical sales are now 17%. Now, granted, all these are kind of small potatoes because streaming is still the big platform right now, and it's continuing to grow. It's now 65% of all recorded music revenue is coming out of streaming. So uh, streaming is still where it's at, but, you know, Physical is beating out digital downloads, and I thought that was never going to happen. But you know, here we are, and a lot of it's because of the growth in vinyl. You know, you're seeing, you know, vinyl kind of come back into fashion. CDs are still kind of collapsing, but people are getting into the vinyl. They love the sound of vinyl. I'm with you on that. I love the sound of vinyl too, frankly. But a lot of artists have been reading this data and have sort of been asking around. I've seen it on Twitter. They have sort of asked, "Well, does this mean that physical sales are making a comeback?" Are physical sales going to get back into the industry? Is that going to be a real stream for musicians again going forward? And I'm skeptical about that, honestly. I think to have that view is kind of short-sighted. I mean, really, I think what's happening in this data is physical sales are not outpacing downloads because physical is growing, per se, although physical is growing a little bit. But what's really driving this change, what's driving this shift is that digital downloads are collapsing. It's that digital downloads are going down, not that physical's going up. And, you know, digital, to give you an idea of this, digital download revenues from 2016 to 2017 fell 25%. That's, that's nuts. Like, I mean, imagine if your paycheck went down 25%. Oof, horrifying prospect. But that's what's happening to digital downloads. It's been falling. In fact, digital download revenues, such as iTunes, have been falling steadily every year since 2015. 14. So this has been a, a steady drop. So it's no surprise that a company like Apple has finally announced that it's going to be closing the iTunes store eventually. Uh, uh, Apple Music executive Jimmy Iovine said this to the BBC last week, and though he didn't specify a date as to when the iTunes store is closing, he did indicate that the closure was inevitable, that it had to happen eventually, that people aren't downloading through iTunes anymore, which is just 
you know, surprising to me because I mean, when I was growing up, like that's all we did. And it's amazing how quickly streaming has overtaken it because streaming has replaced digital downloads and things are growing a lot here. Streaming revenues have increased 43% from 2016 to 2017. And the year before that, they increased 74%. So this is a, a meteoric rise, an exponential amount of growth. And that growth is being driven by the increase in music streaming subscribers. So what's happened is not only are people streaming more, but more people are actually subscribing to premium streaming services. They're putting down their $9.99 a month to get into Apple Music, or their $13.99 a month to get the family plan for Apple Music, or they're getting a paid Spotify account. You know, people are really, consumer tastes are changing. You know, that was always the big concern that people were having with streaming was streaming's never going to grow until people, until the marketplace can be trained to get to a point where they're willing to subscribe to these streaming services and pay monthly for them. And a lot of people were skeptical that that was never going to happen, but here we are, it's happening. You're seeing huge growth in subscribers and, you know, so here, here we are today. We are, so you know, the fact that physical sales is now exceeding digital downloads does not mean we're going to become a physical industry anytime soon. What it does mean is that we are very much a streaming industry and, you know, downloading music is going to be non-existent in probably the next five years. In five years, we're going, our, our, you know, there's, I think digital downloads are going to be gone and streaming is going to be where it's at. And when our kids grow up, they're going to laugh at us that we, you know, downloaded copies of music on iTunes. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's just where the, uh, the wind is blowing here. And what are the implications of this? Well, a lot of musicians, a lot of you out there are not fans of the streaming model. Some of you are, some of you like streaming and it's worked for you, but I hear from a lot of musicians who tell me that they're very skeptical about this model. They feel that they're not making as much money off of streams as they did from physical sales and as they did from downloads when those models were more prevalent. They found that when they were getting their, you know, sell the sale for every copy of music, you know, they got their 60 cents when they sold a copy on iTunes or something like that, that that was a lot, you're, they were getting much more revenue than they are when you're doing streams and you're dealing with, you know, fractions of a cent per stream. And so a lot of artists are lamenting this streaming industry, but Maybe we shouldn't fully lament this because I think what this growth in streaming is showing is that the dollar values might change someday. As more subscribers continue to pay into streaming services, as more people become paying streaming customers as, as opposed to just joining the ad-supported streaming system, which doesn't pay artists as much, there could be more money for artists like you. But here's the other thing that it means, and I'll be real with you. I'm going to lay some hard truth. It is possible that streaming may never become the revenue stream, for lack of a better word, that you need it to be as an artist. Most of you listening will never be able to support yourselves completely through streaming. If, if streaming is your only source of revenue, you're not going to be able to make ends meet because for a lot of artists, you're just not going to get the quantities you need there. But look, it is what it is. We've had guests on this show that, you know, that say it all the time, you know, I don't like streaming, but it's where we are now. And so we have to figure out how to move forward and how you move forward is it's going to become more critical for you as an artist to diversify your revenue streams. You need to invest in the other areas of your music career that are music related, that your, that your, your music helps support, 
but isn't just selling your music directly to fans. You got to invest in your live performances. You got to invest in your live streaming performances. You got to start kicking butt on crowdfunding. You got to invest in your merchandising. You got to invest in your music licensing. Get some of those sweet, sweet synchronization and performance royalties. You got to invest in some non-music creations. If you if you're funny and you can do good sketch comedy videos, make some YouTube videos. If you want to do cooking videos or, you know, think about other products that you could create that are creative that speak to your other talents that your music might be able to support in some way. And, you know, don't be afraid to take chances on this because for many artists, a streaming industry means that you just can't rely on selling your music directly to fans anymore to make a living. You have to make use of all of these other fantastic methods that are out there to generate income for yourself as an independent artist entrepreneur. And here's what I can pledge to all of you listeners. As long as this podcast is living and breathing, I'm going to be bringing on all kinds of guests who are achieving success in these other fields, who are achieving success in live performances, in live streaming, in merchandising, in crowdfunding, so that we can get some advice from them on how they found that success and we can all learn together. And you can even ask them questions too. You can ask questions you know, you tweet them at me or email me and get your questions answered by these experts so that we can all figure out how to find success in this new music industry where diversifying your revenue streams in a streaming world is more important than ever. All right, Angela Soph coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is a Washington State-based singer-songwriter whose music has been described by independent artist Buzz as a soothing blend of folk, bluegrass, and touches of new age and classical music. Her upcoming album, Second Wind, is her first full-length solo release in eight years and will be available on April 6th. You can find out more about her music by visiting www.angelasof.com. That's S-O-F-F-E. Ladies and gentlemen, Angela Sof is on the Break the Business podcast. Angela, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to speak with you. You you got a, a, a lot of you got a lot of dimensions for us to talk about. I'm I'm excited for this. I've been digging this interview uh, when it's been on my calendar for a while. So let me kind of begin at the beginning with you. I see here, Angela, that your mother was Argentinian, your father was American, and you grew up in the Philippines. So I'm just going to go ahead and guess that you had a really normal, predictable childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did. To be honest, I really thought I did. It seemed normal for you. <laughs> it did. I, I, you know, I think like most people's childhoods, you know, you don't, you don't know any different when you're eight or ten, or you know, it's not till you see uh, how other people live that you realize maybe your path was a little different. Well, so how did all that happen for you? Were you a military brat? No, I probably was a brat, but it had nothing to do with the military. Um, I I was um, I was a little girl when my 
my father took a position with a an American company in China, actually. So we moved to Hong Kong when I was about eight years old, seven or eight. And then after a year, we moved to Manila, the Philippines, the capital, and then just stayed there. And he he helped um, kind of consult and advise different Western companies as they opened up in Asia. And so they just stayed there and we stayed there and we were this very um, permanent American family, um, you know, in the middle of this bustling Asian metropolis. And it was wonderful. It was amazing. I just loved my childhood. It was it was magical. Well, that's excellent. And I notice a common theme among a lot of the artists I've talked to on this podcast where, you know, and perhaps it informs their art where they just have such a rich upbringing where just a lot of interesting things happen and it helped make them the creative person you are. And when it comes to rich life experience, Angela, you might be at the top of the list in terms of people I've interviewed. I'm really inspired <laughs> by your incredible story and I feel like others are going to be too. So... Let me give the listeners some background here. Your new album, Angela, Second Wind, it's your first solo release since 2010. And I like that you're here because I know I have a lot of artists who listen to this show who maybe have been away from music for a while and they're wondering if they can get back into it, if they can get back on the horse. And your story, without a doubt, shows them that they can. What was it that motivated you to get back into music? Uh... Well, that's a really, really long story, but I'll just very briefly say that um, music never really left me. I I set it aside because I had three little babies and um, was supporting my husband through grad school, and I just didn't believe that there was room in my life. It just didn't seem that there was room for everything that I wanted, and so I just very... Um, sadly, you know, set everything aside. And I remember I made a, a kind of a permanent decision one day that I was just not going to pursue music professionally and that it just wasn't in my stars and my cards. And so I put my guitar away and sold my piano. And, um, you know, I, w- I was just really sad about it, actually. And um, it wasn't until I was forced to go through a faith change that, um I felt like music was the only healing sort of balm for me. And it was like a method of, of journaling. And so I got back into music sort of accidentally through grieving and um, songs came out as I processed some of my challenges. So So I wouldn't say that I, I made any sort of conscious effort, but I started songwriting again after I felt that there was a need for me to express how I felt. So you were going through some you know, difficult, life-changing moments, and you found that you could sort of use, you know, you know, go back to that an older part of your life and use music as a way to sort of heal and process mm-hmm. what you've been going through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. definitely. And, you know, and, and, and of course you're talking about, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, you, you said, you know, you, you, you were going through a faith change and you had three kids and just a lot of different obstacles and you know you've overcome so much in your life and you keep creating and it sets a great example for other artists because I hear artists tell me all the time I can't make music because I've been away from it for too long or I can't make music because I have too many family responsibilities I can't make music because I have too many obstacles and you're sort of an example that you can still make it happen and 
you know, did, I mean, I mean, let's focus on another aspect of this uh, with with respect to your family. We have a lot of artists on this podcast who have to balance family responsibilities with their art. Was was there any sort of tangible <laughs> things that you did to sort of find that balance better? Was was there a way that you could sort of you know make the scheduling work out where you could make time for your family and make time for your music? Oh, I wish that I could say it was some sort of easy magic potion that I drank to, to give myself more time. <laughs> But I think what happened, and and to kind of just, um, I guess, revisit this, is that, you know, there was one particular moment that I was, um, I remember the night I was feeling just really, really down and feeling like not only, you know, how had I lost my faith, but I also had abandoned this other side of myself, my creative that I knew was there just completely dormant and I felt so much guilt and shame over that as well I felt like I had failed myself because I hadn't continued with music and so I was punishing myself over and over again every time I look at you know my guitar gathering dust in the closet I feel so bad and so this one night I just um I pulled out my guitar I dusted it off I tuned it up and I just forced myself to write and I, and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I didn't stop. And this is in between, you know, diaper changes in between phone calls with my family members. This is, you know, I get back from play dates or from, you know, going to some children's museum and I put the kids down for a nap and, and try to squeeze in time for creating. And um, I think, you know, as a parent, this is a huge one because I've always felt that, you know, I can really relate to what you were saying, that that sort of feeling of being, you know, sort of yanked around from pulled by your, you know, maybe your significant other and your kids and your work. And I also, you know, I just, it, I feel like there can be so, it can be so disorienting and feel like you, there's never any time for yourself. But I think what happens is when you feel that the music um, doesn't necessarily come from you, but it comes from someplace else and it's just expressed through you, that's when I felt like I made time for it. When I felt like what I was writing was something bigger and greater than myself. And it wasn't just, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I I, (laughs) I would love for you to elaborate on that. Where, Where were the sources of your creativity then? Were you drawing from your life experience, drawing from your childhood, drawing through the life difficulties that you were encountering more recently in your life? Yeah, I mean, they were, they were, particularly this new record, you know, is an expression that sort of chronicles my journey um, out of my, my family heritage is, you know, our faith. And um, that was a really, that has been a very difficult process and so everything that came out, I felt like also at the same time, I was discovering that there were other people like me that were feeling the exact same way. And, and it was a way for me to feel like I was connecting to something, but, but in a kind of maybe in a more, I don't know, I don't know what the word would be, but um, in a more surreal way, I have always felt that music is something that's always there. It's just, can the person tap into it? You know, can you access it? It's like a river and you just have to go to it and make time to be in it and it comes to you and you can benefit from it. So I would say to people who are feeling, you know, like really uh, discouraged or like 
it's not possible for them, I would say just take moments to like dip into that, just small ones where you can just, you know, stick a toe in the water or you can just sit and listen to what someone else wrote or, you know, just find the joy in it and in it again, rather than the guilt, because feeling guilty about not writing music is like, you know, trying to enjoy a piece of chocolate cake when <laughs> you know you shouldn't have any. It's, it's, it's not going to make you happy. Well, let so. me ask you this. A lot of artists that get into the, in, you know, that want to, you know, make creating music a profession and not just a hobby, they always inevitably run into people in their life. Sometimes it's loved ones. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's just, you know, people that you know that will try to give, you know, give you reasons for why you shouldn't do it. They might talk about time or they might talk about, you know, they don't think you're good enough. And I don't want you to, and I'm, and I'm sure those kind of people are all the more present when you get back into music after not doing it for a long time. And I don't want you to call out anybody from your own life, but I'm sure you <laughs> have people like this around you. How do you deal with mm-hmm. them? How do you, is, do you, do you ignore them or do you shut them out? Do you respond to them? Like h- how do you get those negative people sort of out of your way so that you can create the way you want to create? Cause I know a lot of artists yeah. have that same issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, thank you for asking that because I, I, um, I have developed for myself what I call my personal no drama policy, which means I do not engage in drama, <laughs> in social or emotional drama. And um, doing that has helped me to uh, reduce the number of times that I come into contact with people that are going to oppose me because they, they are there, you know, those voices are there like, Oh, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing this? Don't you have, you know, you should be doing should, should, should all these other things. And, um, and I think that number one, um, I share a lot less with people than I used to. I share my music, I share, you know, other things, but I don't necessarily share the minutia or the details or the, or my doubts with people like I used to. Um, because everyone's going to give you their two cents about what they think you should do with your life. And really, you know, you have intuition, you have your gut that is there for you to listen to and no one else can make decisions for you. In fact, yeah, you you can't ever let anybody else even tell you what, what you should be doing with your time, with your talents, with your resources, because um, your true self knows what's best for you. So uh, that that's my personal view on it is that I just don't um, share those details with people unless I know that they have my back. So once and you, that, oh, my apologies. <clears throat> I was going to say, once you had no, no. set out and decided that this is what you wanted and you knew in your heart of hearts that this is what you wanted, mm-hmm. you then, then the strategy became, I'm going to play some of my feelings close to the vest. If you know, if I don't feel like the mm-hmm. person I'm sharing this insight about my passion with is going to give me the kind of positivity I need, then then they're just not going to get to hear it, basically. Yeah, and, and maybe that sounds a little bit closed off, but um, I think that, you know, I think that you get more respect when you say, I'm going to do this, or, or not, you don't even need to say it, but you just start moving in that direction and start doing it. And I can't tell you how many people, you know, as of late, have said things to me like, oh, whoa, looks like you're really going for it, you know, as if it's like a, 
like, oh man, who would have thought she could actually do this thing, you know? And and I just smile and I, I, I do a lot of smiling and nodding and a lot of thank yous. And that seems to appease people. And, it, you know, really, whenever people criticize you, it's not so much about you, it's about them. A mm-hmm. lot of times it's them feeling fearful that you they might have to watch you fall or that they didn't pursue something that they wanted to do. So it's really about them and not about you. And if you are someone who feels that there's music inside of you that needs to come out, that there's a career or, or that there's some, some direction, some passion for you, then put up, put up those, you know, those loving blockers and say, thank you, but no, thank you. And choose yourself, choose, choose the voice that's inside of you. I love it. I love it. And you, know, you were saying earlier, you felt like, you know, taking kind of a playing close to the vest approach, you know, you're, you're wondering, oh, is that, am I just being too closed off? Well, you should know that there's actually a bit of psychology that supports that approach. Um, you know, you were saying you were doing it because it kept the negative people out. But what a lot of psychologists have said is the more that you sort of tell people about a goal you want to accomplish, the less likely you are to accomplish it. Like, for example, if you're if you're going back, if you're going to like go to the gym and you tell all your friends, oh, I'm starting to, you know, exercise and work out again, then all of your friends say, oh, that's great. You know, and then they give you the encouragement and it, and it shoots off those little endorphins in your brain. And then mm-hmm. that already mm-hmm. gives you the happiness that you want. And then you never go to the gym again. So, you know, right. there's, there, there's some <laughs> science to suggest that sometimes it's good to keep your goals close to you until you actually put some points on the board with them. Well, we talked about the negative people, Angela. Now I want to see it. I want to see the other side of it because I imagine that while you were shutting out the negative people, you were also reaching out um, to some positive uh, influences in your life. When you decided you wanted to get back into music, did you sort of get a circle for yourself? Did you find, did you reach out to other musicians to kind of build a community to to help you achieve this dream? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, again, really, really important question. Um, I, I actually began getting back into music when um, a friend of mine, <laughs> I was out with her and I had known her for about a year and she discovered you know, that, or anyway, we were talking and she whips around and looks at me and she said, and she says, you're a musician. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I used to like to play music, you know? And she's like, I've known you for a whole year and I didn't even know you were a musician. What kind of friend are you? You never even told me this. And anyway, she scolded me. And then every time I saw her, she asked me what I was going to do. Well, when are you going to get back into it? Anyway, this friend ended up becoming um, one of my closest friends, and she she's become what I guess the, the term is, you know, your mastermind partner or the person, the one person that you do share your goals with and that encourages you. And I began to see the value in surrounding myself with people who were not going to tear me down, but in fact, were going to challenge me to become, you know, to, to pursue things that were hard for me. So I had a lot of fear, enormous amounts of fear and doubt. And I was just super scared to, to try anything new. And, um, and I think that, you know, um, actively proactively seeking out people in my life that I knew would push me and support me, um, was an enormous piece in my, my taking steps forward and finding some success with, with having them behind me. 
Well, Angela, oh, yeah. I'm I'm so glad you found those influences. I'm so glad you shut out the negative people, and I'm so glad you got back into music because this. I, I had the pleasure of listening to your new single, Rocks, off your upcoming album, Second Wind, and I dig it. It's it's right up my alley. I love this song. And I don't want to make the audience wait anymore. Like I, I want people to see the fruits of your musical comeback here. So we're going to play Rocks right now on the Break the Business podcast. Here we go. about any 
off of her upcoming album, Second Wind, that was Rocks by Angela Soph here on the Break the Business podcast. Angela, that was terrific. Thank you so much for letting us play that. Thank you. Thank you so much for playing it and for having me on. Oh, very much my pleasure. Now that we have introduced you to our audience and they're, they're going to want to find out more about you, uh, where can people find you? Are you on social media, website? What do you got? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you can find me on Facebook under Angela Soap Band. I do have a band that I play with. All right. And, there you um, go. Shout out to the band, of course. Yeah, to my bandmates. And then uh, and then also just my website, AngelaSoap.com. And you can pre-order the album. It comes out April 6th. And um, we've got a big release party. If you're in central Washington, it'd be fun to have you come and hang out with us. And yeah, and then we head out on tour. We're doing a Pacific Northwest tour um, soon after that. And we're making a couple stops in Utah. So oh, love it. Pretty exciting stuff. Oh, I, and, and I just imagine the backdrop for a lot of those shows is going to be great because the Pacific Northwest is so beautiful. I mean, I, I couldn't live more geographically away from the Pacific Northwest, but I'm just a big fan of that whole region. <laughs> um, Angela, you've been so insightful. You've bared your soul to us, and I really appreciate that. And based on the terrific insight you've given me in this interview, I'm particularly excited to hear your answer to this question, which is the one we asked all of our guests do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes. Uh, and I, I will, I will couch this as advice to myself because um, I think that, you know, looking back, you, you kind of have to look at your, your earlier self and tell, you know, I'd love for someone, I'd love for my future self to give me advice. So I'm going to give my previous self advice. All right. And I think, I think it is that, um, just because there's a certain way that everyone else is doing something doesn't mean that it's the way you have to do it. So look at your particular situation. You know, in my case, I have three small children and I, I can't head out on tour for three or four months at a time. And my, my situation is different. So, so to, you know, to your guests, their situations are each going to be unique. And so look at what you have to offer that's different, maybe that um, requires a different avenue or a different path, and then just slowly and steadily pursue it. You don't need to run. You don't need to race ahead. You don't even need to look at the beautiful flowers beside you. You are your own amazing, magnificent flower. And and just like I, I, I think that this is just a great analogy that, you know, on a blossoming tree, each blossom is amazing. And the blossoms next to you are not diminished by your own beauty. That a tree is only beautiful when it's all blooming together. So, so finding um, that own beauty that you have inside and just moving forward and trusting that your intuition is intact, that you have something that's important to offer, and that the journey is sometimes more amazing than the destination. So, just enjoying the process of creating, of making friends along the way and of touching people's lives and, and enjoy, enjoy it as you go. Cause it's awesome. Oh, my goodness. That's 
Fantastic. The The music industry is so glad to have you back. <laughs> um, Aw, thank uh, you. This is, uh, thank, and thank you so much for coming on this show and sharing your wisdom with us. Everybody, you can check her out at Angela Sof, A-N-G-E-L-A-S-O-F-F-E dot com. Angela, thank you so much for being on with us. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I look we'll be, forward to it. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back, everybody. Here's something interesting. Apparently, Digital Music News is reporting that according to a study by O2 and Professor Patrick Fagan of Goldsmiths University, if you attend music concerts every two weeks, you can increase your life expectancy by nine years. So I suppose by that math, if you're a musician and you're playing gigs three times a week, you can live for like another five decades. So keep playing, musicians. It'll make you immortal. Our thanks to Angela So for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about her music by visiting www.angelasof. That's S-O-F-F-E dot com. And be sure to check out our upcoming album, Second Wind, when it comes out on April 6th. Man, inspiring stuff. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our four platforms, iTunes 1, SoundCloud 2, Google Play 3, and Stitcher 4. Uh, I encourage you, I beseech you, I ask you nicely, throw us some nice reviews, rates, subscriptions, really appreciate it. It's going to help our podcast move up and help us reach more people. You can contact me, email me at breakthebusiness at gmail.com if you have any questions you want us to answer on the show. I love getting questions from you guys. It always makes for better content. I think we can all agree. Um, If you just have uh, topics you want us to discuss, again, that's where you go breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Let me know about them. I answer all the emails that come in. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can like the Break the Business podcast on Facebook by just going to facebook.com slash breakthebusiness. My book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is available paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Go to amazon.com, search Break the Business. And finally, tell a friend about the show. That's the best promotion of all. Um, if you're looking for a way to, uh, to help us out and you can't think of anything, just go to one of your fellow musician friends or one of your fellow friends of pop culture or something, and just let us know that this community and this podcast exists. Honestly, that's, that's all I ask of you. And that's already more than enough. Um, before we go, I kind of want to talk a little pop culture. You know, I, we, we always get into the music and entertainment stuff and every once in a while, I just like to talk a little about just what's going on in the pop culture world. And I, I noticed that last week the reboot of Roseanne came out and apparently it did really well. I mean, not just kind of well, but it did like 18 million in its first episode. That's insane. I mean, I mean, in today's television where everything's so much more fractured than ever and we all have Netflix and Hulu and all this other stuff going on, the idea that there's still a television show that get eight gets 18 million people to actually watch at one time an episode, that's 
fantastic. So the Roseanne reboot did really well. Apparently it already got a second season reorder just on the strength of that first episode. So, uh, good for Roseanne. Uh, I haven't seen it. Um, Frankly, I never got into Roseanne when it first aired. It was kind of just before my time. It ran from 88 to 97, so I would have been 3 to 12. And so it really kind of came on right before I just kind of started getting interested in television. I mean, eight, I mean, by 97, I'm still, you know, watching kids shows probably, you know, more Nickelodeon than ABC at that point. And so Roseanne kind of faded out just as I was getting into television. So I don't feel a particularly strong affinity for it. So I don't know if I'm going to watch the show, but apparently the people who are watching it are loving it because the ratings were pretty insane that first episode. And I actually read an article in Entertainment Weekly today talking about that how the success of the Roseanne reboot is likely going to lead to other sitcom reboots apparently there's already a Murphy Brown reboot in the works and now it's another one that's before my time slightly but I remember seeing a few episodes of that here and there and it was adorable and good show and you know I do like Candace Bergen I think she's awesome in everything she does um but there's a Murphy Brown reboot and I'm also hearing seeing that there are rumors about a home improvement reboot and a Frasier reboot um Frasier Man, I, I gotta say, I I don't love the Frasier reboot idea. And look, I loved Frasier. Probably one of my favorite shows of all time. If I was having a internal argument with myself about the best television sitcom, Frasier is going to be at the top of my list. I mean, I could very well make, you could make the argument that Frasier is the best situation comedy that's ever been made and I love it I was it's one of my favorite shows of all time I spent a good chunk of law school just binging old episodes of Frasier on Netflix every night just watching two or three episodes before I went to bed in law school and it's great it's so clever and even today if you watch it now the jokes still hold up even though it's been off the air for 15 years now and not a lot of comedies can say that go back and watch some of the comedies that you think were great that can't there that ended like 15 or 20 years ago you're going to be disappointed in how unfunny a lot of them are today. But Frasier, honest to God, still holds up. It's great comedy. And all of that being said, all of that being said, I don't think I want it to come back. I don't think I would want to see Frasier rebooted. First of all, John Mahoney, the actor who played Martin, Frasier, Niles' dad, he passed away recently. And so they'd likely have to write his character out of the show, write his death into the show, if there were a reboot, and I honestly don't think that would work because part of what, what made Frasier great was the contrast where you had Frasier and Niles, these two stuffy, elitist, Harvard-educated psychiatrist sons, and then their dad, Martin, who is this street-smart, down-to-earth, plain-folksy ex-cop type. And a lot of the humor came from just how different the two brothers were from the dad. And so if you get rid of Martin... Then it's just a show about two elitist guys. And, you know, without the contrast, I just don't think it works. And look, there's also a bigger issue I have with rebooting Frasier. And it really just comes with the distaste I I just have for rebooting stuff in general. I gotta say, for me, I'm just kind of sick with Hollywood's obsession in the last few years with just recycling old ideas rather than coming up with original stories. And look, I know I'm about to sound like a really grumpy old man when I say this, like, this is going to have, like, get off my lawn written all over it, but TV and films today are just ridiculous with how much they just recycle stuff. Everything today is a reboot, or an adaptation, or a remake, or a sequel, and 
Nobody in Hollywood is taking chances with new ideas anymore. Everything is just stuff from before. You know, it's rebooting Roseanne instead of coming up with a new idea for a sitcom. And, you know, Hollywood would rather throw something old, you know, out there again than to create something new because, I mean, I get where they're coming from. Like, when you when you attach existing intellectual property to something, you have a better chance of drawing in an audience because the audience recognizes the content and so they might be more interested in it and it's less promotion and marketing work for the studio. And look, all of that may be true, but so I get where Hollywood's coming from with all these sequels, adaptations, remakes, reboots, blah, 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 but it just makes watching today's television and films so uninteresting because sometimes... Don't you just want to see something new? Don't you want to see new characters? Don't you want to fall in love with a new story? Don't you want to sit down and watch a movie and not know how it's going to end already because you haven't already read the book or seen the comic book or, you know, seen the older version of the movie that's now being rebooted, whatever? Like, don't you just want to get sucked into something completely new? And if you don't think that Hollywood has just been taken over by these sequels and adaptations and remakes... I'm telling you it is. Let me give you the best example, all right? I opened this up before the podcast came on, where all I did was just look at what's playing at the movie theater closest to my house right now. I said, let's see what's playing right now, and let's see how many of them are completely new stories versus sequels, adaptations, remakes, reboots. And I, when, I, when I opened it up, honestly, I thought it was going to be maybe 60-40 originals or 50-50 originals you know, worst case scenario where half of the stuff was based on intellect, you know, previous IP. And here's what happened instead. All right. Here's, here's a list of the movies that are playing in my movie theater closest to my house right now. And listen to how many of them are sequels, adaptations, or remakes. Ready? God's not dead. A light into darkness. Sequel. Ready player one. Adaptation of a novel. Midnight sun. Adaptation of a Japanese film. Pacific rim uprising. Sequel. Paul apostle of Christ. Adaptation of the Bible, Sherlock Gnomes, adaptation of a book series, Tomb Raider, a reboot of a film that was itself an adaptation of a video game. I can only imagine adaptation of a novel, Love, Simon, adaptation of a novel, A Wrinkle in Time, adaptation of a novel, Peter Rabbit, adaptation of a children's book, Black Panther, adaptation of a comic book, Red Sparrow, adaptation of a novel, Game Night original movie, Unsane original movie. So there are 15 movies playing at the movie theater just down the street from my house, and only two of them are actually purely original films. The rest of them are based on stuff that's come before. They're just recycled stuff. And look, I'm not trying to be the grumpy old man here. I love a lot of these recycled movies that come out, okay? I loved Black Panther. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I love the Star Wars sequels, all right? I'm not hating on that stuff. I enjoy seeing my favorite things in movies again and again as much as the next person, but damn it if we could have some new ideas too. Don't you just love going into a movie and getting to behold an entirely new story, getting acquainted with entirely new characters, meeting somebody new instead of just seeing the same stuff over and over and over again? I mean... It doesn't frustrate you that 13 out of 15 movies are just recycled? Maybe that's why I like working with you as musicians so much. Because the things you guys are creating in music as indie artists, they're so often new. Almost every song you guys write and put out there is a completely new experience. 
And, you know, I mean, sometimes you do remixes of songs, but that's just occasional. It's not like 13 out of every 15 songs you're releasing or remixes. You're always putting out new stuff. You're always taking chances by putting something new into the world. And that's why I love you guys as musicians. But I understand I'm just one voice on this. What do you think about it? Are you cool with a Hollywood that just embraces sequels, remakes, adaptations, and reboots as much as they do? Let me know on Twitter. I'm at Ryan K-A-I-R. I'd like to see where you stand on this pop culture debate. Our thanks to Angela So for joining us this week. She was awesome. And my thanks to you, as always, for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.